Thanks for joining us for Mississippi Prospects, a podcast focused on economic and community development in our state. Hosted by Jeff Frent and brought to you by the Mississippi Economic Development Council. You've heard the saying many times before, the most important thing in real estate is location, location, location. And even though more commerce is being conducted electronically, location and location strategy still are important factors for any company. And for the local economic developer, how you present this location option can be the difference between winning or losing a project. Deborah McGill-Smith joined EGS Commercial Real Estate in 2008. She specializes in industrial brokerage, real estate consulting, leasing, and land sales, and brings a unique skill set to her clients due to her extensive background in the public sector and economic development. Prior to joining EGS, Deborah served as the Executive Director of Jefferson County Economic Development and Industrial Development Authority, where she led the development of the McCalla and Lakeshore Jefferson Metropolitan Parks, creating close to $1 billion in capital investment and securing numerous tenants, including OfficeMax, Home Depot, McKesson Pharmaceutical, and DeCoster, as well as data centers for Wells Fargo, Southern Company, and Blue Cross Blue Shield. Deborah received a Bachelor of Science degree from Troy University and a Master of Public Administration from Auburn University at Montgomery. She is a nationally certified economic developer and a real estate instructor for the International Economic Development Council. Please welcome Deborah McGill-Smith to Mississippi Prospects. Thank you. So let's talk about you. Deborah, you have extensive experience on both the marketing of available sites and the siting of projects for your clients. So from your perspective, where are communities and economic development organizations coming up short when presenting an available site right now? Well, first of all, I think um, communities are doing even better than they have in the past. I think due to technology and just the availability of information, um, we are finding that communities are getting better. Probably where they still fall short um, most of the time is just providing all the site information, including infrastructure that is available on their mapping. Um, You know, picture's worth a thousand words. It's so much easier if you're looking at one general map that identifies, you know, everything about the site, including you know, the parameters, the acreage, the infrastructure leading to the site, um, if there are any environmental issues on that site. You know, a lot of times, you know, they've already done um, a delineation and figured out where their wetlands are. However, they don't provide any of that information on their mapping. And, you know, it's easy now with uh, technology, um, with Google Maps, you can easily go on and you'll be able to see um blue lines and and know that that is an issue. And so if it's not addressed in your initial information, then that often leads a consultant to just go ahead and eliminate the site because that information is not readily available. You know, there are a lot of free tools, like you just mentioned, Google Earth, but beyond, you know, a satellite image and perhaps those site boundaries, what additional information specifically do you need when you're initially evaluating, you know, a potential site for a project? Well, again, I think uh, one of the big keys is just all the infrastructure information. You know, where are the utilities? Um, Is it available adjacent to the site? If not, um, the distance to that infrastructure and, um, you know, what it would take to to make that infrastructure available. I think anytime you have a good topo map, um, any of your geotech information of phase one, um, certainly a survey and an ALTA survey that really 
um, shows um, all the details of a site, any easements, anything that um, could be any type of challenge to the site is always important. Again, you mentioned earlier the wetlands information is always critical if that's already complete as well. Um, so I just, you know, information is everything, as much information as you can have on a site so that there's no reason to be eliminated in a site search process. It's just critical. That's going to take a lot of due diligence on the developer on the front end. And are you finding they're communicating with you more regularly and learning a lot of these things? And that's why you've seen the quality of these submissions uh, really uh, growing and uh, getting better submissions? Um, I do. And I think just everybody understands competition. Um, you know, you've got to have something. I was, I've been amazed even um, attending uh, the Mississippi conference um, with the consultants, just how many people were starting to use, um, you know, drone uh, technology to be able to uh, show their sites. Um, there just seemed to be even more so than just the paper information, but the also the video information that was available on sites. I just, uh, Again, you know, things are getting more and more competitive and you've just got to be prepared. The good news is, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago in economic development, you were leaning on an engineering firm or you were leaning on a marketing firm to be able to give you that um, first class type of marketing materials. And today, you know, there is access to be able to do it in-house by a lot of um, economic developers, as you know, that you know, a lot of this is last minute. You know, your your site may be subdivided um, differently for a prospect, uh, you know, from deal to deal. And that just gives you the ability to kind of change up depending on what the requirement is. You mentioned uh, drone video, uh, which is great to get that bird's eye view and probably gets you more even in some cases more recent imagery uh, of a site than you would get through a Google Earth type image. How valuable is it to you perhaps to share that in addition to all of the maps? And are you seeing, you know, these sites being presented in a new way through this new technology? Um, I, I do think it's being shown, you know, when you're evaluating multiple sites, that becomes more of a challenge. Um, I think oftentimes recently we had a site that had um, some wetlands issues. And I think the, um, the, the group, did some drone photography to be able to kind of show how it did not um, go beyond some boundaries where the actual development would occur. And that was critical because it just uh, allowed visually to be able to see that site, you know, from an aerial view and uh, look a little closer at what could be uh, a major obstacle for selecting that site. So I think that's important. Um, and again, I, I think it's a time factor. If, you know, there's 30 submissions of different sites going in, then certainly, you know, a lot of drone videos, there's usually not the time or ability to be able to review all that information. So it's on a case-by-case -case basis, but certainly when you get into those um, final stages of a project and, you know, you are one of the final sites, if it could be used to an advantage, um, certainly it should be used. Absolutely. And, you know, we've discussed internally here at my current organization where, we want to offer up the ability to do that in real time as well and perhaps send up a drone, use a YouTube link, and you could look at it and direct the uh, drone to certain areas of interest uh, to help answer any of those questions. Would you find that useful in the process, especially as you're getting down to your last two or three sites? Um, it could. And I tell you, um, where I have seen it be more effective is on buildings. Um, I know there's some great drone photography 
um, on a county in, you know, north of Birmingham that where they've done, uh, built a, a spec building and are using drone photography to try to market that spec building. And it's phenomenal. I mean, you do feel like you're literally seeing the building in person and, um, you know, and then they've got some interior as well. But it, I think it is a very valuable um, technology and again, when needed and when called for by the consultant. A lot of consultants have told me, and I've mentioned this in previous episodes, trees, bad. When you're presenting a site for a project, why is clearing a site uh, an important part of this process for you and probably more importantly for the client? I've certainly um, been dealing with this issue for over 25 years, you know, back um, developing property for economic development and then even today um, when I'm out looking and evaluating sites with um with clients, you know, everybody is visual and you want to be able to be on a site and you want to be able to picture your facility actually, you know, completed on that, um, on that piece of property. I know from a marketing perspective, a lot of times we do have those renderings. We do have site plans done ahead of time, which I think is always a great effort by a community. If you know the building is going to be 150,000 square feet, being able to show them what that building footprint looks like on that piece of property, I think just, I, I think it puts you in a different category. I mean, people want to see what that property, how it's going to, you know, what's the parking going to look like? What's the truck loading going to look like? I just think that's a a big deal. And again, so if there's trees on the property and you're going out to visit that property and you can't see beyond 20 feet, it's just real hard for a company to be able to visualize what that construction looks like moving forward. And I know a lot of times, again, you have property owners, you may have arrangements with local property owners where you don't own the property. Um, it's a you know joint effort with a local private owner to be able to market their property and they don't want to cut the trees. They may be growing timber. Um, so uh, certainly that is an issue in a lot of communities and you have no choice. But again, I think, you know, the renderings um, and trying to create an open area on that property visually for that prospect um, certainly will make a difference. So let me throw out this scenario. If I'm a local economic developer and I know my site doesn't currently have the infrastructure you need for a project, but we do have a plan in place to address the infrastructure shortages. Would the uh, list of current amenities or lack of rather of current amenities automatically disqualify the site or is the plan enough to keep them in or us in a competitive process? I think it's dependent on um, the construction schedule of getting those utilities and that infrastructure to the site. And, you know, oftentimes it'll, you know, you'll get the the information on the site and, you know, sanitary sewer is two miles away. Mm-hmm. But that may be a designed um, project already ready for construction. And it may be an eight to 10 month construction period once it's bid. If that is the case, then certainly that's going to align with the construction schedule of that facility. And so a lot of times, yes, you look at that, you see that the infrastructure and utilities are not adjacent to the site, and perhaps there's a competing site that has all those utilities in place. But I would certainly encourage all local developers that uh, if you've got that infrastructure, you know, you've got to be truthful, say where where that infrastructure is, 
But if that is something that can certainly be there in time for construction, or even if there's a temporary measure that kind of, you know, buys you a little bit more time on that process, then that needs to be very visual on that information. Um, and that needs to be stated that, you know, we already have this designed. And I think that's the key too. a lot of times that, you know, anytime you can move forward and go ahead and have design done on that infrastructure, you don't necessarily have to construct it. I know a lot of communities are waiting on grant opportunities. If yes. you um, get a larger project with capital investment and job opportunities, then there's usually some resources that are available. But if you could go ahead and just, you know, do the engineering part of it, get that aspect of it, um, and then, you know, and make sure that that plan's changeable. You know, you may plan for one size line and the company may require another. So you've got to be flexible in that infrastructure and utility planning as well. But um, a lot a lot of communities do get eliminated because, you know, there's no further information other than that it's not adjacent to the site and there's no real detail on how quick and competitive that really can be to be just as a, much a ready site as one of the competitors. Yeah, there seems to be a, a broad mix of responses when I've asked this question uh, to other consultants. If there's value in promoting a site as, and I'll use my air quotation, certified site, and what are the pros and cons of a state or local level site certification program? I know there's not a consistent maybe a set of criteria in every state. So, um, There's not, and there's certainly a lot of certified sites that you know, probably wouldn't be ranked in, in a state's top 20 sites just due to various reasons, but because they have gone through the checklist of requirements for a certified site, they have become certified. So, you know, there sometimes is some gray area there. Um, I know a lot of the global site consultants across the country, a lot of them certify sites. Um, and I know that that is certainly um, a big qualifying factor. But from the brokerage side, um, you know, we're out for our clients most of the time. It's certainly a more um, local initiative um, when we are out doing site selection. And um, and to us, that's not always as important. Um, you know, we're instead looking at as much information as possible available on the raw site. I mean, that's the importance of a certified site is you're going to have the phase one and you're going to have the wetlands assessment. You're going to have geotechnical information. I mean, all those items on that checklist are going to be complete, which really gives a prospect, um, as much information as possible on that site to kind of make a decision to move forward. Um, again, you know, certified sites are, are, are a great program. Uh, I know, again, they, you know, are often, um, you know, the first choice in a lot of states on these broader um, consulting. But again, on a more local level, like we serve for Cushman and Wakefield in both Alabama and in Mississippi, um, you know, we're going to take a look at a lot more than just what's certified um, because there's a lot of opportunity sometimes as long as, again, that information is available. That's critical. So even if you're not certified, you do need to do just some of those preliminary studies to be um, competitive. And I would guess, based on your response, that there are plenty of sites that would, are technically not certified only because they've not gone through the process but would still meet the same criteria and are very marketable. Correct. I think there are many are marketable. Um, so, I, you know, I'm sure there's still a lot of sites out there that have just not, you know, some economic development authorities don't have the financial resources to be able to do everything that's required from a certified site. That that certainly prevents some communities, though they may have, you know, some great sites for 
for marketing to a prospect. You know, a lot of communities across the Southeast, and I know you specifically work in the Southeastern region of the U.S., they're seeing a shortage of available inventory. And I've you know seen it here in Mississippi with many of the best locations or sites already developed. And so are you seeing any trends where other available sites, which were perhaps not initially considered a top site for development, are now being more competitive or at least considered by your clients? Absolutely. I think nationally, um, this is not just something that's happening um, in the Southeast. This is certainly something nationally. I mean, inventory um, is in an all-time low, and that's both with uh, greenfield sites and also uh, with available buildings. And, you know, in a lot, a lot of the larger metro areas across the U.S., um, you know, a lot of those better ready-to-develop sites have been taken to build more spec space and more build-a-suit. Um, opportunities. So, you know, this is certainly happening nationally um, and in the Southeast here, particularly in uh, Mississippi and Alabama as well, that, you know, a lot of the the close to the interstate, larger sites, um, maybe the rail served, yes, they have, uh, you know, we've been very fortunate in the past 10 to 15 years and economic development has been very successful and a lot of these sites have been um, have been purchased and, and fortunately have great companies and, and jobs and capital investment. However, it it does leave little inventory and makes you less competitive um, now with these other projects coming in. I think, you know, the, the interesting trend is, you know, we would always look at a lot of these topographically challenged sites and think that, you know, well, that's just not suitable or that's not a good site. And what we have found as a recent trend, just because a lot of the, the you know, more the flatter, you know, more um, like we were talking about visually appealing sites that uh, that we have been marketing for so long, these topographically challenged sites seem to be um, a little less attractive. However, um, you know, overall, just the location, which we all know this is a location uh, decision, um, the the site work and site grading cost overcome the fact that they can have a site that's still very close proximity, has the infrastructure, has the interstate access. So I think that's been one of the biggest changes is that, you know, whereas 10 years ago, you just didn't see companies looking at these type of sites because there was so much availability. And now, um you know, we've seen a couple extremely large projects that have taken on very topographically challenged sites and just did what they did to grade and um, are now, you know, anywhere from 500,000 to, you know, million and a half square feet facilities. You know, we've been very fortunate here. We have a number of opportunities uh, for our local economic development organizations to apply for grants to kind of help them along this process and taking properties, I can think of a couple examples of some of my members uh, with the Greater Jackson Alliance where they've been taking these grants and these properties have remained undeveloped for quite a while. They're, they've been around and available for a number of years, but now they're really investing in it, uh, including taking, uh, you know, clearing the property and grading it. And I think they're getting more serious looks now with that investment and it'll only continue to grow. You have spent both you know, time on both sides of the equation, having been a local developer and on the site selection, you know, consultant brokerage side, how important is it for a local economic developer to build and maintain a relationship with someone like yourself who was now on the industrial brokerage side? I think it's 
extremely important. I don't just say that because now I'm on the brokerage side, but <laughs> you know, when I was, uh, of course, you need to cooperate with your local brokers. Um, I, you know, when I was in economic development, I just I took on a whole different philosophy. Um, you know, I, I came into a, a, a area, our county invested over twenty million dollars in a seven hundred and thirty acre industrial park, and you know, I just there was a lot of responsibility that we needed to not only market to, you know, our state allies, our utility companies, and and market to companies, but also, you know, to brokers. And we were a very broker friendly organization. We um actually had a commission in place that if a broker brought us a project and, and we did not only communicate that with our brokers in our own state, we went to adjacent states and let them know, hey, look, if you've got a project, um, you know, we're, we're very broker friendly. We want you to bring us a project. And the way we looked at it, we were getting, you know, that land sale. We were getting the capital investment and getting the jobs. And, you know, honestly, you know, all efforts to bring those type of projects in was very critical. Today, moving forward, and, and now that I'm on this side, I, I really see how many of these accounts for companies. I know a lot of times as economic developers, we we, we look at the global site consultants who have a lot of the large and, and, and great projects. But, you know, one also has to keep in mind that the global um, brokerage firms uh, right now, certainly with the top four firms um, globally, probably hold a large percentage of all the corporate real estate accounts. And that means that those projects are looking in your area for a site, it's going to be led by one of those brokerage um, in your area. So I think it's very critical to to reach out and to market and let them know what you have available because uh, certainly they're going to, they're going to be asked to do a site search or um, they're going to get that call to, for their area from, you know, one of these national accounts and you certainly want to make sure they know what you have in inventory so that they'll they'll promote it. You got to make it easy for them as well. So, you know, you want to make sure that they're fully aware of of what you've got available and and hopefully promote it. Particularly if you've got a spec building or any available buildings in your market, I think that's also real important to kind of make those connections. Let me follow up with one question just based on your response there and talking about spec buildings. I've found it's a challenge sometimes uh, at the local level to convince perhaps a a governing board uh, to make that investment because it is a gamble on the front end, but also with a thin uh, market, you know, and not a lot of available inventory can see how, you know, the investment can pay off. And we've seen it done successfully in Mississippi, especially in Northeast Mississippi. How do you convince a board and what approach would you take in recommending, you know, going the spec building routes for successful development? I've got um, mixed opinions on spec buildings and communities. And, you know, again, um, back when I was on the economic development side, we built a 100,000 square foot tilt-up building at the time, and which was... I mean, you just didn't build 100,000 square foot tilt-up buildings back in the um, early 90s. Um, So it it was a lot of risk Uh, at the time, though. You know, our construction um, competitiveness and cost um, was certainly uh, a lot better than it is today. So, you know, that could make sense. But it is. It's a lot of pressure. And then Mm -hmm. even though that gets you a lot of looks, you know, there's usually a time frame in which that building needs to be sold and 
um, it is a lot of risk. So it, it's a hard decision, I know, for local boards to try to take on that type of financial risk. Um, you know, I would say that today, just with the cost of construction, um, you know, I think the big key is just to make sure that whatever your total cost in that spec building, that you're going to be able to get it at least a, a return, or if you're going to have any um, any subsidized part of that in order to, you know, because of the jobs or capital investment, I just think you've got to have a real good plan because, you know, at the end of the day, you know, this is not going to come out. You know, you said, well, I can stop. Yeah. <laughs> this may be one of those. I have mixed emotions on uh, that's, buildings. That's okay. And, you know, we're looking for your perspective on this. Is I mean, Here's the bottom we, line. It, construction right now, if the private developers are not, developing buildings in some of these areas right now, I think you, you've you got to look to what they're doing as a trend on whether the local government should do it. And it is a real hard decision because, you know, you do want that inventory. You do want that prospect activity. You want to be able to lure people in to your community because perhaps if they don't buy that spec building, they're buying that Greenfield site instead and, and, and still locating in your community. But it's just, it's a tough decision right now because certainly the cost of construction has elevated the cost of building these spec buildings, you know, higher than it's been in the past 10 or 15 years. So I think that's just a, a big consideration to take. And are you willing in the end to offset the cost of that building back to that company? And then, you know, at what margins, how many jobs, how, many, how much capital investment? Um, and again, until you can get all those decisions made, I'm sure at any time it's a hard decision by a local community and certainly a local economic development board to, to move forward. So what you're telling me is this could be a whole nother episode. It's a complicated question, I know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I just, again, it's got to be a great financial decision. And this is, we're just in a time right now. Now we may be back out of it here in a few years, but we're just at a time where there's a, a pretty big cost to that um, development right now. She's ready to help you find your next site. Deborah McGill-Smith on Mississippi Prospects. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you. Mississippi Prospects is brought to you by the Mississippi Economic Development Council, the Mississippi Development Authority, Cooperative Energy, Greater Jackson Alliance, Entergy, Mississippi Power, Tennessee Valley Authority, Watkins and Eager, Butler Snow, Jones-Walker, and produced by Pottery Studios. If you have questions or comments, join us on Twitter at MEDC Info.